welcome to the Rabbitohs Top 4 Podcast. Proudly presented by What If, official travel and pathways partner of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Here are your hosts, Mark Ellison, Shannon Donato and Jeremy Monaghan. Well, welcome everyone to the Rabbitohs Top 4 podcast, powered by Audio Technica and proudly presented by What If. What If has you covered for accommodation, flights, car hire and more. So if you're looking for a holiday, travelling for business or need to get to the game, visit whatif.com slash Rabbitohs. What If, it's Aussie for travel. My name's Jeremy Monaghan. I'm the media manager here at the Rabbitohs and I'd like to welcome my co-hosts Mark Ellison and Shannon Donato. Good morning, gents. Oh, yeah, Jez. Great Very to be well. back again. Very well. Looking forward to this, our second episode of the Top 4 podcast. Shannon, how are you this morning? Very well, thank you, Legend. How are you? Very well. You've had a good brekkie? Yes, I've had a great brekkie, thank you, from uh, the great uh, cafe here at the South Sydney Juniors. Uh, bacon and egg rolls, I can highly recommend them, although they get a bit rich after four, but they're, they're pretty good. <laughs> Actually, mate, you just got a bit of a crumb on your chin there. No, no, not that one, mate. <laughs> not, not, that, not that chin. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to welcome our special guest, our first guest on the Rabbitohs Top 4 podcast here on Episode 2, our CEO, Blake Solly. Good morning. Thank you, Jez. Honoured to be the first guest after listening to um, last week's podcast. And also, I'm glad that the first food joke was cracked before you got to intro me <laughs> after last week. I was a bit worried uh, if I had to be the first one to break the ice, but uh, very honoured to be here and um, great to be the first guest. Very good. Now, our first uh, discussion point that we go to each episode is something that we've learnt this week. Shannon, we'll start with you this week, something you've learnt. Yes. Um, the Rabbitohs, we really are a family. Um, recently had the game in Mudgee and I just... At one stage, I sort of had to pinch myself. I was at a table. There were a stack of old boys out there, uh, Les Davidson, Daryl Neville. I think there was about 25 old boys, and we are sitting there. And we are sitting there with the members, and we are having dinner and, you know, breaking bread, having a glass of wine or whatever. And I just thought, you know, we're all different parts of the Rabbitohs, but we're all a family. To see the members with the old boys, there were some sponsors in there, there was some management. I just really reminded me of uh, what a family the Rabbitohs are. Very good. Hello, what have you learnt this week? Well, something along those lines as well, Jez. I mean, it, it's always a magnificent atmosphere out at Mudgee and, and to take so many of the Rabbitohs out there in different capacities was fantastic. But I did learn that there's some lovely wineries out at Mudgee on the weekend <laughs> and my favourite one was Robert Oatley's. I mean, they took us on a tour there. The wine was magnificent and uh, just gave us that Mudgee hospitality that uh, everyone's talking about. Uh, so there, there, there are some wineries in Mudgee, are there? <laughs> yeah, mate, yeah. Um, if we could have got you out of bed, you might have been able to take you there, mate. But anyway, yeah. there's, some, there's some fooderies too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Shannon was out eating the grapes yeah. before they turned yeah. into wine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, you know, I was talking to the mayor and he was saying how um, that match brings $1.8 million into the economy last year and economic benefit analysis showed that. And I said, listen to the mayor, there's a fantastic fellow. I said, listen, $1.8 million last year is a fantastic result. But I saw Shane Richardson in the local bakery, and I reckon you're going to break $2 million this year. <laughs> Very comfortable. <laughs> Very comfortable. And what about the quality of the designated drivers out there at the winery, Zella? 
Yeah, very good, very good, Jess. Uh, who were they again? <laughs> that was me. No, you did a great job, mate. You did a great job. You didn't say a word. Yep. Because actually you were pissed off because you couldn't drink. That's the main thing. <laughs> I babysat your sonnies all weekend. So <laughs> you did too. You did too. Blake, what have you learnt this week? Oh, I think uh, similar to the conversation with the boys, I've learned that the passion for the club of our members, particularly Knows No Bounds, we had the Menu Log Team of the Decade event last night at in Sydney, we had members drive from Wollongong, Canberra, um, the Central Coast, just down for one night to um, spend some time with the team of the decade and the rest of the club. And um, again, it's just a great reminder of um, why we consider ourselves the pride of the league and why our members are so important to that. Speaking of the breadth of our support, the thing that I've learnt this week is just how broad it is. So I was having a look at the the insights into the podcast, ours and also uh, the boys at Rabbitohs Radio and the listeners that we've had. We had listeners last week in the UK, the USA, Canada, Germany, New Zealand, Thailand, France, Israel, Hong Kong, Norway, Ireland, the Philippines and Papua New Guinea. You know what that tells me, Jez? The COVID lockdown is not good for people's mental health. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not helping either. If we're their level of entertainment. Now, this was the number one. This was the number one for me. There's a podcast drought. Really yeah. well, there's, there's a fella called Ryan McGee. He's a global ambassador for the Rabbitohs Radio crew. Um, big shout out to Chaps, Mavo and Brownie. They're doing a great job at Rabbitohs Radio. Ryan is from a town called Mechanicsville in Virginia in the USA, has anyone heard of a better town name than Mechanicsville? Unless there's a plumber's town or something somewhere, that's number one for me. Yeah, it's yes, good, Jess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah, not, we haven't. Is there anything you want to tell us about <laughs> mechanics? Let me, let me find my laugh track. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> do we, that we go back and start that one again. <laughs> <laughs> Big no. cheerio to Mavo, too. He was on his almost on his deathbed on Sunday, on, he, on Saturday. So he got up to Mudgee and performed very well, as well as some of the players. So he was uh, <laughs> fantastic. Well, I can tell you, after being at Mudgee, I was almost on my deathbed. So. <laughs> Yeah, we noticed you weren't in the office on Monday. Yeah, that's right. I had a lot of meetings. <laughs> Eatings or meetings? <laughs> a little bit of A, a little bit of B. <laughs> Very good, righto. Well, that's what we learnt this week. Now, we'll head into our first top four topic for the morning, and it's the top four with Blake Solly, a chance to, to get to know Blake a little bit better. Blake, can you tell us the top four things that our listeners may not know about you? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I grew up on the Central Coast of New South Wales, God's country, as the guys here will um, attest to, because that's what I call it any time <laughs> I'm talking about the Central Coast. Um, I went to finish school at St Greg's at Campbelltown, so um, was around the same year. I was in the same year as Trent Barrett, who's the um, Canterbury coach, and the year above me was Trent Robbo as um, coach. They were um, far better players and far better coaches, so um, they've gone on to um, careers on the field, and then I've gone on to one off it. Um, I studied law at UTS and was a lawyer for a decade before um, moving into sports administration. Um, and the fourth thing is that I'm a um, huge fan of music. Very good. Tell us, tell us a bit about that time at St Greg's. You mentioned a couple of of big names there, but you played some football yourself. What was your your position, and did you, did you enjoy playing, or was it a career off field that you were? Looking no, at? I love playing. I just wasn't very good at it. Really, that was the <laughs> only problem. But they can uh, sometimes inhibit your career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, some guys yeah, can have a great, career. Career, <laughs> a great career, like Shannon. We know how you feel. We just conned everyone. Yeah. <laughs> 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 didn't stop me. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I was uh, I was very ordinary, but I, I played some of my first memories of um, almost being a kid were um, going along being the ball boy for my dad. He was coaching some junior teams at St. Edwards at East Gosford, the club there. And um, so I was three and just carrying a ball around on the side of the field and then started playing at five and kept playing, um, played at schools um, in the second team at Greg's. Um, but just all the time loved playing because for me it was about um, – making great friends and friends for life in many ways. Um, the things that it taught you playing rugby league, even um, if you're as um, poorly talented as me, it was all about um, teamwork and, and rugby league, which is so different to many other sports. There's nowhere to hide when you're on the field. You've got to um, run the ball up and get tackled and um, show a lot of courage. Um, and then um, also for me, just the people that you met through your life in rugby league was amazing. You know, the first thing I did, well, the first two things I did when I moved to the UK, I didn't know anyone in Leeds, but I got a job first and foremost, which was important. And then the second one was join a rugby league club because I knew um, even though I didn't know anyone in Leeds, if I played rugby league, I'd have a lot of friends really quickly. And so that move to England, was that designed to play football or a chance to travel? Or? A chance to travel. I'd yep. um, done a six-week tour of um, the UK like a lot of people do um, in their mid-20s and I thought oh, I'd I can either put my head down and sort of go down the career path to associate and partner as a lawyer in Sydney or um, that was probably my last chance to get out and see a bit of the world. And I thought I'd do a two-year working holiday and um, go and play a bit of footy, try and see as much of Europe and Asia as I could uh, and then come back. And um, within six months, I, I met my wife, Claire, um, in Leeds and then um, stayed two years, became 11 years, um, played a lot of footy, saw a lot of the world as well. Um, so I was really fortunate, but um, it was anything but a – plan to stay that long um, but I was always wanting to see it and the other thing I want to do is um, a lot of Aussies go there go to London live in Shepherd's Bush or um, Clapham and hang around with other Aussies I was really keen to do something um, completely different and go to a town where I didn't know anyone and particularly in the north where league is everywhere and cricket's a big sport and so at least I have something to talk about and just do something a bit different. I just remember the first time I met you in England. Yes, uh, Blake. You know, Valentine's Day. I, yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I'm surprised I'm still in, employed at the Rabbitohs since this day. We just we, we just go travelling over the World Club Challenge, and uh, Richo and I met you at, at some pub, I think, or, yes. or a restaurant. I can't remember where it was, but it was with Richo. I was at a restaurant. <laughs> no, no, it, was, it was the Midnight Bell Pub in Leeds. Well, there yeah, you go. Yeah. There you go. And, and anyway, we'd been travelling, had the jet lag, and that, and I was there talking. I'd, on my first sip of my second pint. I'm talking to Blake and sitting there like this, and I just went. <laughs> <laughs> and it was nothing to do with, with the conversation. <laughs> it was just the jet lag, and I've never done that yeah. again. I've never done it before or after. So, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky I'm still here, I think. It, I, to be fair to Ella, the jet lag was pretty bad. It was also minus two outside. So, um, you went from minus two outside to about 38 indoors uh, in the pub because it was a pub that was full of people and uh, a couple of pints of bitter and I, I think anyone would have gone to sleep. Rich, away, so. Rich, I was next to me elbowing me and trying to wake me up and I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was an interesting Valentine's Day, the three of us going out in Leeds. So we pull into these restaurants for trying to find somewhere to eat and there were all these couples oh. eating and Ello falling asleep at the table. And... Everyone knows how patient Richo is, so he, 
<laughs> he, he had no problem with the fact that all the restaurants were full of couples <laughs> out on Valentine's Day. Uh, and we were struggling to get a place. Anyway, we got to a pizza shop. I think Richard kicked a couple off there. <laughs> <laughs> Sat us three down. So. Uh, yeah, no, very good. Which clubs did you play with over in England? I, I played at a club called Leeds Ackies. That was the only club I played at. But it's a really um, – it's a great club and, and it was a – it was created by um, – so there's three universities in Leeds, Leeds University, Leeds Met, and Trinity and All Saints College. And the class divide in the UK is is still quite big. So um, working class people play league and everyone else plays rugby union. And um, that club was built out of guys who travelled from um, other parts of uh, the UK who'd never played rugby league before, played rugby league at uni and wanted to keep playing afterwards. So we had – um, in the team, probably five lawyers, uh, a couple of dentists, a GP. It was a, a sort of a strange old team, um, which was great for the sort of former mining towns of Yorkshire and Lancashire when you turn up as a sort of a student team. They, uh, yeah, you could see the eyes light up. On the, uh, here we go. This will be some good fun. Kill the Tories. Kill the Tories. You know, just uh, so we had to deal with that, but it was great. And then. Um, because we were based in North Leeds, we got a lot of the guys um, from the local area as well. So we had this great mixing pot of guys um, doing trades and apprenticeships with GPs and lawyers. And um, the one thing that bound everyone together was the sport and loving rugby league and then um, finishing the game and having a few beers off it and heading out into town in Leeds and enjoying themselves and getting to know each other. So it was just an amazing club. And Jeremy Shires, who set it up, um, deserved a great deal of credit because it was his vision and it still goes today. And um, there's a lot of people who think very fondly of it. Very good. You, you mentioned the law degree that you did yep. in Sydney. Was was it the idea to practice in law, or was it just a a, a way to get into other areas in business? No, no. I, I practiced. So I practiced for almost ten years altogether. I did five years here and five years in the UK. Um, I remember really early on at the first firm I worked at in Sydney at Hunt. Um, the HR woman kind of said, "Oh, I don't think you'll be in this long term, Blake." And I was a bit offended. Really, I was only like twelve months, and I think she was probably right. I think she realised I maybe didn't have the patience for the usual career path of lawyer, associate, senior associate partner. She probably thought I was a bit impatient, maybe a bit too entrepreneurial for that. So um, when the job came at the RFL at the time um, in the team, legal team there, it was a bit of a welcome relief to private practice. And then um, within two years, I was doing operational and commercial stuff and very little legal work at all. And then became the general manager at, at Super League. So I was going to talk there about the, the, the general manager position at, at Super League. When that was offered to you, what did what did you think? Coming, uh, I guess, originally from looking at the way a uh, New South Wales Rugby League, ARL, NRL was um, operating, did you see opportunities to bring that sort of um, level of management into the Super League or were there gaps that you, you could see in Super League that you thought you could um, improve? Oh, the, the gap I thought was that um, until my appointment, Super League hadn't had a dedicated focus. It had all been the RFL operating on behalf of the game from the England team right down to grassroots and the Super League clubs who I always thought were the real value drivers in the sport there. The Super League competition drove the TV revenue and the commercial revenue had never had a dedicated person or a dedicated focus. So for me, the opportunity was, well, now we've got a chance to get these um, 14 clubs as it was at the time and then 12 within 12 months to try and get on the same page and realise some of the value that they had. And there's some great clubs over there, Warrington, St. Helens, Wigan, Leeds, Hull, Hullcow, just um, the support for the clubs in the towns and the areas where they're from is anything that matches here. It's amazing. And um, we had a couple of good years. We sold out Old Trafford for the first time ever, which was amazing. We had a wonderful World Club series when South came over in, in 15. And um, we did some really, really good things with the comp. And I think um, we're, on, we're on a pretty good track. 
Did you actually live in Leeds when you were there? Yeah, I yeah. lived in Leeds for 11 years uh, and then um, worked in Manchester the last two. Um, and I can see Jezza and uh, Shannon grinning now because um, they know what a huge fan I am. Uh, Manchester's just a wonderful city, so is Leeds. But um, I loved working in Manchester. I thought it was a really lively city. But because of the um, oh, it is hatred between Leeds and Manchester, I'd have to go back to Leeds and not talk about how much I was enjoying working in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's awful over there. You don't want to go over there. <laughs> and I was loving it. But, no, it was great. Leeds is a really good city. Um, we lived not far from Headingley Cricket yeah. Ground and state and Rugby League Stadium. It's also where the universities are. So um, we were just blessed, really. We were just outside, just far enough outside of it to be quiet, but close enough for the activity, you know, the pubs in Headingley on a Sunday afternoon when the Rugby League or the Cricket's on a heaving and um, yeah. a lot of young people, it's got a real vibrancy. So, Talking about the, the old days of hatred there between Leeds and Manchester, I remember when I was over there, uh, a mate of mine, Paul Carr, was playing for Hunslet, which was – you know, in the second division there, and they played out of Ellen Road, and uh, Leeds were playing Manchester in, in in the Super in the soccer. I don't yeah. know; it wasn't called what it is now, but they were the two gun teams. Yep. And when they played at Ellen Road, the Leeds supporters had to be in the ground an hour before kickoff, and then they were locked in. So the perp from Manchester could come to the train station, then get in. They were allowed to go an hour before and then the Leeds people all that out to, to stop the fights and the, the hoodlums getting into each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's massive, the, the hatred there. Oh, if you lead City Centre on a Saturday, um, particularly now with Leeds United back in the Premier League, uh, it's just every pub's full, or, sorry, not right now, but um, outside of a COVID time, the pubs are full, um, everyone's singing um, the Leeds United songs. Um, and then, like you said, they just walk down to Ellen Road, get in the stadium, and then about half an hour later, all the opposition fans get off the train and walk in. So it was, for me, I was so naive about it too. You'd get to Leeds and sort of think, oh, I'm going to um, the city centre on a Saturday. And somebody, oh, well, mate, be careful because yeah. don't go to that pub or do go to that pub or don't walk down that street. But um, the passion for Leeds United in that city is extraordinary. It's great to see him back in the Premier League. I think Russell's a big Leeds United fan too, isn't he? He is, yeah, yeah. yeah he's a... Huge Legion United fan. I think he narrated the documentary about their rise to the Premier League. Um, they the whole time I was in um, the UK, they weren't the Premier League. They were probably their worst decade ever. Yeah. Um, they actually dropped down to two divisions below the Premier League while I was there. Um, but the fan base was huge. They were they're a big worldwide club as well because of their success in the seventies and the nineties. So if you live in Leeds, there'll be probably a couple of thousand Irish people travel over on a Friday night um, to watch Leeds United Ellen Road and go back on the Sunday because they're just mm. such a big club and. They're back where they, where they deserve to be. You know, just thinking about your time at Super League, you took a few risks were you there as well. You introduced the – is it the Super 8s? Was that yeah, the, the, the concept? That, yeah, um, now passed away, the Super 8s. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah we, we introduced the Super 8s and we, we wanted to try and – the whole aim of it was um, to restore promotion relegation, which was really important, and that had gone out of the game and do it in a way that was sustainable so that clubs weren't having to go bust trying to get in or go bust when they went mm-hmm. out. And – um, I think it was a bit of a missed opportunity. I think if it had, if they'd have stuck with it, it would have continued to grow and do really well. Um, but I can also understand that uh, for some of those clubs, the uncertainty in the fixture list at the end of the season was pretty hard. But we were just trying to, again, um, I think create a Super League competition that everyone wanted to be part of, that it was um, really vibrant, that the broadcasters loved it um, and that the commercial opportunities were there because um, the game is um, – so much smaller than rugby union and soccer and cricket and you really have to fight hard to get any coverage at all, particularly in the national press. It's almost the opposite here where you're sometimes trying to get out of the press. Um, there we do anything like the um, 
final game of the 2015 season, um, the league leadership, which is big there, the minor premiership, uh, came down to the last game and there was um, a game at Wigan and a game at um, Huddersfield that Leeds were playing in and whoever won the game um, uh, got the, the trophy and rather than um, hand it to them a day later, we said, oh, well, we'll get a helicopter and fly between the two grounds um, and present it to whoever won it. Uh, and so I was unfortunately the person in the helicopter having to make the decision. Um, Leeds were... 12 points behind with about six minutes to go and Wigan were winning easily. So I told the guy, I oh, should probably get towards Wigan because this is going to Wigan. Leeds performed one of the most almighty comebacks of all time. <laughs> Ryan Hall scored a try with the like, seconds after the bell and um, we had to <laughs> swing it around and uh, get to Huddersfield. And um, we landed at Huddersfield and um, someone said, oh, there's a car waiting for you. And, um, so I thought, oh, the car that was waiting for us was the car. It was the young Asian family from Huddersfield who were just picking up their kids from gymnastics next door, <laughs> jumped in with the Super League trophy and had to, had to jump back out and get the next car. It was just... Uh, but that would have been thinking, geez, my kid's good at gymnastics. <laughs> Prizes have increased. Haven't they? Um, she could just do a car wheel yesterday. But it, it was just, it was so, and like a, a bit of a circus, but that was what we needed to do to try and, um, to try and, um, Getting an important call. No, 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 it's not me. So, no, it's my phone. I've today. Is that right? <laughs> Sorry, guys. Good on you. Lad. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but, th- but that's, that's what we, that's what we had to do to try and um, get publicity in the game because um, Premier League football is everything um, in the winter, and then if you've got a Euro Championships or a World Cup, the summer's dominated by soccer, uh, and then rugby union and cricket take the rest of it. So you have to be really, really creative to try and get in the front page or the back page of the paper. Mm. Cheers. Uh, Blake's are probably too modest to um, talk about this, but. You know, we all love the um, Magic Weekend concept in in the NRL, but again, that was one of his initiatives over in the Super League. It was very successful over there, and it's very successful here. Um, so, you know, a lot of the learnings there that the Blake had over in the Super League have obviously transferred over here to the NRL. Yeah, I mean, uh, Magic was um, Nigel's originally, and then we kind of just kept building on it. Um, took it to Man City at the Etihad, and took it to St James Park in Newcastle, which were two great stadia and steeped in um, football tradition um, with Newcastle United and Man City, but um, they were so great. And what um, people don't really know is if you go to a Premier League soccer game, you can't have a beer in the stands. Um, you can't drink a beer in any um, level of soccer in the UK where you can see the ground. That's the rule. So um, if you're in a corporate hospitality suite at the game, they shut the windows, um, shut, pull the blind down uh, when kickoff starts. If you want to stay in drinking, you can, or you move out and you can't drink. Wow. Um, so the soccer stadiums... Um, Wouldn't be much fun, would it? <laughs> no, no, no. I'd um, find a different job if I were <laughs> It's like those poor uh, security guards that have to sit on the sideline but face the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the well, game. Um, but then for, so- uh, for rugby league, you can. Um, so these security guards would, weren't sort of used to um, the rugby league fans who would love a beer, love a song, um, love food. And we used to say to Man City all the time, Look, whatever your food order and drink order is, Double it and give it some more consideration, and that's. I thought you were going to say because Shannon comes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. we need a counter on these bloody food jokes. How, how many are we up to already? You Sorry. must, you must Sorry be proud that the size of the three regular hosts, and you're the one that cops all the yes, food jokes. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the barrow to come back. Don't worry about that. <laughs> that was menu log me, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Chasing the bill. Yeah. <laughs> 
Actually, Jez, I've got to admit, I, I am going to do something about my weight because the other night I was, Gab and I were being a bit intimate, and you know, and she told me. Hang, hang, <laughs> on. <laughs> hang, hang on, mate. This now we know we're on air. It's okay. I know we're on air. No, it's, it's, it's all family, family safe. And, oh. um, you know, we'd finished being intimate, and um, she said. That was quick. She, yeah, she said that was quick. No, that was long. <laughs> but she said I rolled over twice after we were done, and I was still on top of you. I, I, I think you need to lose some weight. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, Is that your joke of the week? Yeah, oh, no, no. So, speaking of family. <laughs> You've got a young family? Yeah, so um, my daughter, um, Francesca, she's 12. She plays rugby league, plays um, – she's been fortunate enough to be selected in the um, Rabbitohs Touch team for State Cup and TAG. So, um, you know, she's just um, become fascinated and really passionate about rugby league since she's um, arrived in Australia and you know, living in the area and going to school in Malabar, I suppose it was pretty daunting for her. She turned up the first day with a really, really thick Yorkshire accent, um, sort of as – like Sam, Tom, George, or Luke, any of those guys, it was probably thicker um, because I'd come out here a bit earlier before they arrived. So she'd just been surrounded by West Yorkshire folk. And um, so she got there the first day and was really overawed because um, the kids kept coming up to her and asking her to talk. Yeah, come and can you say something? Because <laughs> hear this quite weird accent. So I think um, she realised early on that um, living in Malabar and Matraville, that supporting the Rabbitohs was a pretty important thing. So um, she hooked onto that as a way of getting to, um, I suppose, getting accepted in school. And it's gone from that to, you know, watching every game. She travels with me to some of the away games. Um, we travelled the preliminary final in 2019. We went to Canberra together and um, driving back and didn't say a word to each other till yeah. Berrima. <laughs> <laughs> we were just so dis- disappointed and, and frustrated, and all, but also very proud of the way the team played that night. But... Um, we both took it pretty hard and it was only to Berrimer. I said, we probably need to get some breakfast and start talking. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled off and had a coffee and had some breakfast and started talking. But no, she loves the game as well, which is great. It's fantastic. And you mentioned earlier on your love of music. Yes. Talk us through that. Well, it, I, mean, I always love music, but um, another way, another th- great thing about the UK is it's just um, music central, right? The whole city or the society revolves around great music. Mm. Um, if you go out, in Leeds on a night out, um, people will you know, ask you, oh, how, how was your night? And the first question inevitably people respond with, oh, the music was great or the music was crap or the music wasn't good enough. And so it was almost the first thing that people criticise is or accept is the music and that suited me. So um, I just sort of um, immersed myself in the music and then living in Manchester, always been a big fan of bands like New Order and The Smiths. So um, working in Manchester was great. You were walking around these streets where this great music was made or these people were discovered or um, played. So um, for me, I just always loved music, but that kind of accelerated my passion for it living in the UK. And the lure, the lure to come back to the Rabbitohs, the CEO of the, the Mighty Rabbitohs, yeah. the, the dream job. It you. was, and, and um, you know, I was really fortunate enough to the opportunity came up when I was probably um, ready to um, come home and also ready to um, finish my time at Super League. So, um, and my wife had always said, if we were going to go back to Australia, Francesca had to be before high school and she was just about to start year four. So the timing was absolutely right. And I'm not sure I had a 13th winter in me as well. Yeah, that was yeah. the other <laughs> subtext. I think that last winter probably uh, finished me off. I don't, I don't think I saw the sun for three months yeah. that winter. It was just one of those um, winters where it was pretty cold, but it also just grey and drizzled for three months. So yeah, yeah. Um, when the opportunity came to come back and um, kind of be with my family and friends again was um, too good an opportunity to refuse and to join a 
a great club like this. It was the, you know, my dad grew up um, in Ridge Street, Surrey Hills, played for Chelsea United um, and kind of to honour his memory by being part of this club was really important. Very good. Now, we mentioned your love of music there yes. a few moments ago. We want to go through your top four albums of all time. Yep. What, what have you got for us? Yeah, it says a lot about me, these albums. Uh, um, but uh, so my favourite album of all time is um, Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. I think a lot of musician, musicians and music fans love that album. It's um, stood the test of time. I think it's 40 years old now, maybe 45 years old. So um, great album. Um, Alley Daily, which is an album by UMI from the 90s, um, which is a concept album about living in suburbia and I was growing up on the central coast at the time. So, um, I could identify with a lot of the music and, and, um, still love UMI to this day. Um, I'm a huge Elvis Costello fan as everyone, um, who knows me knows. So, um, I'd probably say, um, this year's model is my favorite Elvis Costello album. Um, and an album by an American band from Chicago called Wilco, um, 2001 album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. So that's, not that diverse uh, selection because they're all kind of white middle-aged songwriters <laughs> uh, playing uh, alt rock music, but um, and but I just love those albums, love the lyrics, and um, love the musicians who played them. Well, I guess if anyone's listening to this podcast on Spotify or on Apple, you can jump over to Spotify or Apple Music and listen to those albums. It's a bit different to your list, Shannon, with NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, <laughs> and Pet Shop Boys, and these sorts of guys. Tom Jones. <laughs> You forgot Millie Vanilli, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Millie Vanilli. Oh. <laughs> Brent Very <Tate>. good. <laughs> All the classics. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, thank you for coming in this morning, Blake. Appreciate that insight. No, and, thank you. Uh, I, I thought I was inviting because my office was next door to the studio, so I was, <laughs> I was the first guest. I was the closest by. The reason he ended up here, all these laughing, stuck his head in. What's all this? Sit down, Blake. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Excellent. All right. We'll be back in just a moment. Now, the official Rabbitohs merchandise store is located now down at Heffron Park Tennis Centre on Bunurong Road in Maroubra. It's right near where the High Performance Centre uh, and Community Centre is going to be built. So if you're looking for a Rabbitohs jersey, a polo shirt, T-shirt, hat, flag, anything that you can think of Rabbitohs, then head down to Heffron Park and see the merchandise team and they'll help you out. Or you can go online at shop.rabbitohs.com.au. Now, Blake, you, you spoke about your daughter, Francesca. I hear one of her life goals is to work in our merchandise store. Yeah, absolutely. She's uh, she's desperate. She keeps asking me, when can I start? I say, you've got to be 15, so <laughs> another three years to go. But, Damn um, those industrial laws. <laughs> <laughs> if only child labour was back, right? Uh, but no, she... Um, you yeah, can get her a driver's licence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, picking on me from Willamaloo again, mate. <laughs> the answer's yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you don't charge her as much as you charge my kids. <laughs> Your son still looks underage, Josh. He still looks 16. Um, so anyway, head down to uh, Heffron Park, to the tennis centre there, catch up with Maddie and the boys. They'll sort you out or jump online at shop.rabbitos.com.au.
Now our top four topic for this week, sticking with the English theme that we've been talking about, is our top four English players that we've seen play of all time. We thought this would be appropriate with Blake's time over in the Super League. So we might start off with you, Shannon, this week. All right. One of my favourites, he was only at the Rabbitohs for a year, but he was just a, a cult hero, and that's the Yorkshire Flyer, uh, the great Henderson Gill. He, he had he had speed, he had agility, he was strong, he was everything I wasn't as a player, and <laughs> <laughs> he was an excitement machine. Um, he was, said he was a good bloke. <laughs> <too. Yeah. laughs> as I said, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I remember when he came and just all the fans on the hill, they would just love him. And, um, you know, he scored lots of tries for the club and he was he was a fantastic player. And um, he was a forerunner to some other obvious great Englishmen who, who came to us. And obviously number two, I should have had him as number one, actually. I think he's, you know, we talk about tough forwards, but Sam Burgess, um, you know, we're a club with some very tough, really genuinely tough men and Sam Burgess is right up there with them. I think he he was instrumental in our 2014 win and I don't just mean his efforts and heroics on the field in the grand final night but just instilling that toughness and the confidence to the forwards around him to really uh, take it up to the forwards pack. So I think uh, the Sam Burgess legacy uh, is undisputed. Uh, another one, um, being an ex-hooker, is the great Kieran Cunningham. Um, he's, he's one of nine siblings, one of one of ten children, actually. They must, they, Blake. They must be cold those nights over there. Yes. <laughs> Not much to do in St Helens. On a... His parents obviously didn't yeah. have a TV yeah. in the bedroom. <laughs> Long winters in St Helens. One of one of ten kids, but you know he was a fantastic player. I was talking to Blake about him uh, last night. He played four hundred and ninety six games. He, he he his career went for uh, seventeen years, and uh, oh sorry, sixteen years, and he was. He scored 175 tries, so a couple more than me, but um, <laughs> played for the UK Lions. He's just absolutely fantastic player. He didn't play for Italy, though. No, he didn't, and, no. and he's lucky he didn't. <laughs> I, I would have sorted him right out. <laughs> My nickname playing was uh, the Labrador because I was always bludging on the blind. <laughs> But how could you go past when you're talking about great English players, the great Cuthwin Ellery Hanley? You know, a fantastic player, man of steel three times. Um, still as fit as a fiddle to this day, Blake and I were talking about yeah. him last night as well. He's just about to turn 60 and he did everything in rug- rugby league and he did just about everything in Sydney as well. With the- <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, <laughs> a, a great player and very popular on and off the field uh, was the great Cuthwin, Ellery Hanley. Very good, very good. Now, Ello, your top four. Yeah, number one, Sam Burgess. He's been the greatest Englishman I've seen come out here and, and I've seen him close up and something he's done for the club over many years. Uh, some of the injuries he's played with, not only, you know, the, the broken cheekbone in the grand final. I, to this day, if he comes off, I think we'd have struggled to win the game. Um, but he just, you know, the number of times he'd argue with the doctor about getting back on the field. He, he had a really bad ankle injury once, the syndesmosis, and he went back out there and it ended up costing him the rest of the season. But we were playing the Bulldogs in a, in a clutch game and he just went out there just led by example. Um, he had a few mistakes in him, but um, Jack Gibson always used to have a great line, if you're going to make a mistake, make it at 100 miles an hour. And that's when Sam made a mistake, it was at 100 miles an hour, but he put the fear of God in oppositions. And uh, 
he's been great at our club and um you know he's my number one by by quite a quite a way actually mm. um I, I was lucky enough as a kid we used to you know watch a lot of english football the test matches and that we had to get up in the early in the in the mornings to watch it and you get up with your parents and watch a lot of the older players I remember a bloke called Tommy Bishop played back in um, in the early 70s. I mean, I was only young then, but I just, I've loved football you know, all my life. And he was just a leader. He was a little fella. In those days, there'd be a lot of, you know, tough stuff going on, fights and that. He'd get in and start them and he'd just, he'd just fire his whole team up. And then, you know, the, you know, Cliff Watson and that the front rowers at the time used to come in and just follow him up. And he was one of the first Englishmen I really remember coming out to play football here. And I... I just watched him and uh, ended up playing Cronulla, I think, and I don't know if he coached there or not, but you know he was one of the one of the first Englishmen to come out and actually stay in, in Australia. So he was a he was a top liner. Ellery Hanley, um, I played against Ellery as well. Uh, I played against Henderson Gill too. Was yeah, you know, was a top liner too. But I was at Cronulla at that stage. I forgot about that. I shouldn't have mentioned that. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, Ellery, he was just all class. I mean, everything he did was um, you know. Top shelf. He he prepared well. He had a good time off the field, as we all know. But yeah, you know, when it was game day and when it was training, he was out there. He had he had a remarkable fitness level at that stage of the game. When, when um, you know we talk about how, you know how the players at this stage, how much they train. I think he was one of the, the high level trainers back back then. Uh, very classy, very skillful, and, and again a leader. Um, the eighty-eight grand final. Obviously, Terry Lamb and Warren Wright decided we had to stop him to stop the Tigers, and they and they did it. You know, yeah. um, that's a bit of a testament to him to how good he was to the teams he played in. Um, another one going back, if you one of the toughest guys I ever saw play was Malcolm Reilly. Um and you know I remember it. It's funny I remember talking to George about the fight they had at the cricket ground that day, and George reckons he, you know, what happened. Malcolm kicked George in the in the face on the ground and opened him up across under the lip and then um yeah, George apparently tried to get they were in the scuffle and said he nearly got his eye out and things like that. But that was the type of game it was back then and he 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 just that was what you know, he loved it. He yep. loved it, he loved getting involved in it. He was skillful too, like a lot of the British forwards at that at that stage. Came out here cap- and, and and then coached Newcastle to success as well. So he had a big influence on the game in, in Australia and back home in England. And probably probably the last player that not many people would know that was a front rower called Kevin Ward that played played for Manly. In yeah, in in I remember playing against him in '87, and and you know he um, he had a face like a robber's yeah. dog. <laughs> I, 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 I tell you what. <laughs> When he was running, Shannon, I was like you. I used to get on the blind side, so he wouldn't come near me. But no, he was tough, and he was he was solid, and and that's when Manly, Manly had lacked a little bit of that in their game. He was one of the the enforcers that he brought to the club, to try and get on top of teams and that, and, and he did that. Um, you know, he 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 was just a solid professional and hard as a rock, like like you know, it was like tackling a brick wall when he ran. So, and my forges. Hang on, uh, before we go to Blake, I just want to ask: Can we can we get Elo a role in a, a job in payroll, making up the pays? He just put fifty percent on the top four. He just put, <laughs> nominated six players. No, no, but, yeah, but I know I talked about a few that just well, just my pay anyway. Okay, okay. <laughs> you want to listen a little bit better, mate. <laughs> Sam Burgess. Who's the second one? Just Tommy Bishop. <laughs> 
Ellery Hanley. Okay. Kevin Ward. Ward. Sorry, mate. That's okay. You, no, just, no, you, you right. mentioned Cliffy Watson and a few yeah, others. Just... I just I need to pat a little bit. Make <laughs> you think about what I'm going to say. Yeah. 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 Mentions. Of course yeah. you need some padding, Ella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that in your notes, was it? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Blake, the top four you've seen. Oh, Sam speaks for himself, so it's hard to um, say anything more than what um, Shannon and Ello said about Sam. And um, for the other three, I kind of looked at – in the UK, when they're looking at um, players who they really rate at the top, it tends to be guys who trouble Australia because that's the yardstick. If you Mm. play against Australia and you can trouble Australia and challenge them, well, then you really establish yourself as a great or – uh, if you dominate in Union and League, um, that's the other thing that kind of separates you from the rest. And so I, um, for the other three, I kind of went a bit off um, off piece. Even though he's not English, he's Welsh. Um, Jonathan Davis, for me, was just such a talent. Um, he was at Widnes when they beat the Raiders in the World Club Challenge. He was amazing um, for Great Britain. He dominated Rugby Union before he came to Rugby League for Wales. He was part of an amazing Welsh Rugby Union team. And then his try in the, at Wembley in '94. Uh, in the Ashes test where he, he kind of splits Australia open and scores, and I think the score was 4-0 at the end, and that was the thing that broke the game. Uh, he was just an amazing player, skillful, and also just a wonderful guy off the field. He's one of the few people who's held in such high regard in league and union that he commentates for the BBC on both. He's um, an analyst in both. He's just a, a great guy, but a great player. Um, another guy, Paul Sculthorpe, who Australia probably, strength maybe didn't see the best of um, because he, he was a bit injury prone, but his performances for Great Britain and St Helens over a long period of time were extraordinary. He was a great um, six or 13, didn't matter where they put him. Um, inevitably, when he played in big finals for St Helens, they just won. And their record in that period when Anderson, uh, Daniel Ando was coach and he was there, they just could, they were unstoppable in big games. Um, and then the final one was um, Jason Robinson um, for me, who, again, dominated the league in union, held in high esteem by both codes. Um was a great player, travelled Australia whenever he played and then went on to have a wonderful career in rugby union. Um, and then also when he was at Wigan, they just won as well. He was just a complete winner. Um, probably an honourable mention for Gareth Ellis as well, who came out here and was great. Um, played for a long time over there, but um, they were my four, Sam, um, Jiffy, Jonathan Davis, Paul Sculthorpe and um, Jason Robinson. I just have one more to add to that, that I've forgotten. <laughs> one like more to his top 15. <laughs> uh, no, talk... <laughs> Go through the criteria that, that Blake spoke about. I'm a little bit older than you guys. I'm 43. Okay? Oh, yeah. I think Gary Schofield was a great oh, player that came out here as well yeah, too. Yeah. You know, you, you talk about the criteria of, of troubling Australians. He used to trouble us in the test matches yep. and, he, and he troubled the teams when he played for the Tigers out here too. So he was uh, almost in the top four. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go through my ones quickly because they've all been mentioned. I just want to make the point that I absolutely refuse to include Adrian Morley in my list because of what he did to our club for over a decade <laughs> playing for the Roosters. So he didn't make the list, but my number you four. You've got to be human to make the list. If you yeah. play for the Roosters, <laughs> yeah. you don't qualify. <laughs> My number four was Henderson Gill. My, my list is actually full of Bradford and Wigan players, but uh, Henderson Gill, he was one of my first memories of, of following footy and his time at South and he, his post-try celebrations, dancing on the field and all that sort of stuff. So Henderson Gill got uh, my number four. My number three was Jason Robinson. Um Interesting rumour around at one stage that he was going to come out to the NRL and come and play 
for us, which got a lot of people very excited um, considering what he was achieving in rugby union at the time. But he always gave Australia headaches in those test matches, the way he jinked around the field and his pace. If he found a gap, it was close the gates he was in. Um, Ellery Hanley, which most of us um, mentioned, he was a big body, had the silky skills. He was a, a little bit, I guess, in the John Sutton mould. He probably had a little bit more pace than, than Sutto, but he had all those skills. He had the, the magic that Sutto used to have. And I used to hate watching him play against us when I was a kid because you always knew he was going to make something happen. And as everyone else has said, Sam Burgess, he's my number one. The confidence that he brought his teammates was unbelievable when he was playing with us. He, I reckon he changed the way we played our footy, um, brought a real hard edge to us, and again, another guy that achieved in in both rugby codes. So that is my top four. Thank you for all of your suggestions, yeah. gentlemen. Ella, I appreciated your 62 nominations you gave us. <laughs> what, was, what was one of the great things about living in the UK, Jez, was meeting a lot of those guys. Like yeah. I, um, You saw them on TV growing up as a kid and getting up in the morning watching them, and, and or they came to Australia and seeing what they did, and getting to meet them and realise how humble they were and how highly um, they regarded their time in Australia, either at a club or on tour and um, how much passion they still had for the game. Jason, um, even though he finished his career in rugby union, um, would always come to the Challenge Cup final, would always come to the Super League Grand Final, bring his kids. um, And same with Ellery. They just still had so much passion for the game and wanted to make a contribution. And I think all of them, were desperate to see Great Britain or England beat Australia in a series. I think that was the one thing that eluded them on the field and still eludes them to this day. And um, I think particularly the guys like Ellery and um, Martin Fire and that who played in the early 90s, they thought they had the team to win and the coach in Malcolm really to win and they just couldn't quite do it. Mm. And it still um, haunts them hearing your story about 89 last last um, week, Ello, and sort of how you still wake up and um, that's a great regret. That was theirs the same. They just... They thought they should have beaten Australia in 90, 92 or 94 and they didn't quite do it and it still still haunts them to this day. Yeah, yeah. Well, come on, Aussie. Come on, I say. That's <laughs> <laughs> bad luck, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, a blues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've clearly been weighed down by all the stories. <laughs> Developed some sympathy for me. They sent us out here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll be back in a moment. Now, we spoke about this last week, Rabbitohs Plus. It's a new initiative from the Rabbitohs. It provides uh, everyday services for Rabbitohs members and, and supporters at some great deals. You can grab mobile phone plans. There's travel deals, home and contents insurance, credit cards, car insurance, home loans, all sorts of things through Rabbitohs Plus. And you can get some great deals being a Rabbitohs supporter or a Rabbitohs member. So to check out Rabbitohs Plus, all you need to do is visit plus.rabbitohs.com.au. And Blake, it's, it's Hard to take off. It has a big shout out to uh, Lou, who I sat next to last night at the menu log, who's a member from God's Country at Booker Bay up there on the <laughs> Central Coast. Uh, she uh, she proudly showed the uh, credit card um, when we were sitting down having a chat, and um, she was overwhelmed by how good the customer service was um, with Community First Credit Union. She said it was just amazing that um, she applied, and within a couple of hours, got a call from um, a consultant and had the card in her hands within a couple of days. So. Um, I don't think her husband was that keen on how much she was using it, but certainly... <laughs> I uh, can't believe you made a pay for last night's dinner. <laughs> Blake, Blake, Blake's actually got the um, the Rabbitohs credit card too, and it is, it's a great product. He was telling me he'd lost his previous credit card, and um, I was asking, I said, did, did you report it to police? And he said, 
No, why would I? I said, because you stole stolen credit card. He said, no, I didn't report it to police because the thief was spending less than Claire. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon's up to his third joke of the week. He is. Right? He is. Do oh. I get credited in advance? Yeah. <laughs> if they're funny, you will, yeah. mate. <laughs> Rabbitohs plus uh, jump on to plus.rabbitohs.com.au to find out more. Now, our trivia question from last week was when South Sydney played our final home game at Redfern Oval as our main home ground in 1987, who scored the final points for the Rabbitohs and how did they score? Now, we gave you the clue. The final score was Canberra 26, South Sydney 2, which probably gives away a bit of a hint about how they scored, but who they scored. Shannon, did you do your homework on this one? I did, and I remember that game clearly. Um, you know, that's in an era when we we're obviously struggling a little bit, and we were right in that game up until the kickoff, and then um, unfortunately the Raiders, <laughs> the, the Raiders ran away with it. But uh, <laughs> but the who scored those points is the esteemed gentleman to my left, the great Mark Ellison. Well done, Ello. Thanks, thanks. Shannon. Tell tell us about the he decision. He scored two to, points, uh, which was more than the tackles he made on that day. Apparently. <laughs> 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 Tell us about the decision. And less than the missed ones. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the decision to take the two points early. Well, I think I think Mum had backed me for first point score. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got a chance to. I think we we had a win behind us in the first half, early in the game. I think from memory and. Um, Took the two point, and uh, that's all we got. We led two nil and, and lost twenty six two. Were you playing in that game, Shannon, with Laurie Daly running at you all day, like you told us last week? No, no, I wasn't. I was. Uh, you know, you're struggling. Oh, you know, people talk about the sixty two nil loss to um to the Roosters at the football stadium, and you know, everyone talks about how bad it was. How bad was I? I was on the bench for reserve grade that day. That's <laughs> <laughs> couldn't make the side that got sixty two nil, but I couldn't even make the reserve grade side. The side under that. So uh, our the trivia, short answer is no, Jeremy. Our trivia question this week is: Mark Ellison scored two points. Did Shannon Donato? Eat more or less than two <laughs> crunchy hot dogs <laughs> from the uh, kiosk on the western side that day. You've been paying attention. Uh, well, just got me thinking about hot dogs. Yeah. I love a footy hot dog. Can you give him yeah. a tough question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's funny, funny thing about that day, Wayne was the co-coach of Canberra, of Canberra oh, yeah. with yeah. Don Ferner, yeah, and, and um, they did a number on us. You, you would have yeah. met him a couple of weeks later in the semis. Yeah, in the well. semis, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. We might get Mavo on to talk about that one next time we do the show. <laughs> 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 Focus on the win against Balmain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, right. that's tough. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a jaggy magic. <laughs> that one. Give him another plug and make him feel better. No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. His be right fair. of reply will come in Rabbitohs Radio. Well, this week, I'm don't sure. worry. He's got plenty to bag me about. I'm sure he'll find it too. <laughs> no, but Canberra, Canberra that year, that's when they just started to come to, to prominence and uh, they went on to the grand final and had a, a tough game against Manly. Yep. Um, Kevin Ward played in the team for Manly yeah, that day. And, um, that yeah, and uh, they just they just had remarkable attacking ability, you know, and they had some great players like mm. Daly, Belcher was around, Meninga was there. Mm. 
Dean Lance in the back yeah. row. Chris O'Sullivan. Chris O'Sullivan, yeah. So they were they were a good team, and um, yeah, pity it was the last game at Redfern, yeah. but anyway, decent coach as well. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he went on to go okay. In his <laughs> <laughs> Had a little bit of there success. He's not a bad bloke. <laughs> <either>. <laughs> Well, we'll move on now to our trivia question for next week and sticking with our English theme. We mentioned Henderson Gill earlier on who played for the Rabbitohs back in 1985. I want to know how many tries did he score for South Sydney in that season? And the hint is he played eight games for us in 1985. So that might give you a a bit of a lead into the answer. But we'll come back with the answer next week in our trivia question segment. Now, this fantastic podcast, and I can say that from the uh, feedback we've been getting over the last week, I've had that many people come up to me saying that they enjoyed it and had a good laugh at you two blokes. So. Who was that, your mum and your yeah. wife? <laughs> <laughs> My five-year-old daughter. Yeah. <laughs> you funny, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> you funny, Daddy. <laughs> Shout out to you. <laughs> so uh, it is brought to us by the great people at What If. And if you're looking for your next epic holiday, maybe a long weekend with your mates, or you need to get the, to the next game, which, of course, is next week against the Melbourne Storm down in Melbourne, then it's time to What If It. What If has great deals on accommodation, flights, car hire, and more. Plus, because they're the official travel partner of the South Sydney Rabbitohs, you can head to whatif.com slash rabbitohs and use the promo code rabbitohs 15 and you'll save 15% on selected hotels. Now, conditions apply with that, but make sure you head to whatif.com slash rabbitohs and use the promo code rabbitohs 15 to save that 15% on selected hotels. What if it's Aussie for travel? I jumped on to whatif.com slash rabbitohs last week and booked my flights and accommodation for Melbourne. It's a great service that they provide. It is. It's a, I mean, they're a wonderful company and a big shout out to Daniel Finch, who's uh, a great supporter of this uh, podcast and um, the club in general, but they are it's such such an easy service to use. On you, Jez, I'm about to jump on and book mine for Melbourne next week. It's so easy. You get your travel, you get your accommodation, you get your transfers done really quickly. It's a fantastic service. Very good. What if it is Aussie for travel? I was going to say the moment we've all been waiting for, but we haven't had to wait for it because he's given us a few little teasers throughout the show. It is Shannon's joke of the week. Let's have a, a listen to what he's got for us. Okay, geez, that's a big intro, Jez. I feel feeling a bit of pressure. pressure. But, uh, uh, just you know, the, the, talking about the travel and the trip to the bush to Mudgee this weekend, and out in out in the countryside, remember, reminded me about an article I read about you know the Ivan Malad and the and the serial killers and and the backpackers. Uh, you know, it's not a it's not a laughing subject, but um, one of the you know one of the testimonies was you know he was walking through the Balangalo State Forest, just him and the. The backpacker, and it was night, and it was lightning, and there was thunder. And the uh, the backpacker turns to Ivan and says, "Geez, it's scary out here." And Ivan turns and looks back and says, "What are you scared for? I've got to walk back to the car by myself." (laughs) (laughs) 
apologies to any serial killers out there. <laughs> or serial killer victims yeah, if you're yeah. somehow listening to the uh, to the podcast. Yeah. Well, they won't be listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. We've got wide reach, killer. Wide reach. You never know what you can get these days inside some of those coffins. But anyway, well done, Shannon. Hello, we're back to you next week. Another joke. Another one. So you've got seven days to think about it. All the pressure's on me. He's already <laughs> Is anyone going to ask him a pump? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. You can contact us with topic suggestions by filling out the form at rabbitos.com.au slash podcast or contact us via Twitter using at SSFC Rabbitos and the hashtag top four podcast. Also, send us some pics of where you're listening to the top four podcast each week. We mentioned all the different places where we've got listeners in Philippines, PNG, Norway, Hong Kong, all over the world. So we want to try and spread that listenership as much as we can. Don't forget to write us a, a glowing review if you think we deserve one and give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button to automatically add our podcast to your feed every week. Where do I send the review to, Jess? <laughs> <laughs> it's a five-star rating system. It has a review or an eight stars. <laughs> That's pretty good for you. <laughs> he, said, he said he was trying to get some credits up for his joke of the week. So he's going, okay. Um, don't forget to tune in to our other podcasts on the Rabbitohs Podcast Network, including our regular media conferences leading up to games, including the highly entertaining interviews with our head coach, Wayne Bennett. They'll all start next week. We'll also have our audio version of the Rabbitohs Insider. And you can also tune in to Chaps, Mavo and Brownie on the Rabbitohs Radio Podcast for more hardcore footy chats and uh, a great laugh as well. They do a great job, the boys, and I'm sure Mavo might have a bit of a response for, for Elo this week. Well, as long as he leaves the major semi-final from 1989 out of the <laughs> <laughs> I'll say no more. Yeah. Oh, probably about, there's probably about 5,000 listeners out there too want to still slash my throat. <laughs> <laughs> and his wife's one of them. <laughs> Very good. Oh, Shannon Ello, thanks for joining us as usual here in the uh, Kingsford studio. It's been a good laugh. Thanks, Jez. Thanks, Jez. You're most welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Blake, for no. uh, for coming in and joining us. No, thank you. It's been honestly great to be here. And um, as I said, very uh, honoured to be the first guest. Very good. Very good. We'll get uh, we'll get some more guests on very soon. We'll be back next week with more from the Rabbitohs Top 4 podcast. Of course, it's powered by Audio Technica and proudly presented by the great team at What If. We will see you then. Thanks for listening to the Rabbitohs Top 4 Podcast, powered by Audio Technica and proudly presented by What If, official travel and pathways partner of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Support the club and visit whatif.com forward slash Rabbitohs to book your next trip. Don't forget to use the code Rabbitohs15 to get 15% off select hotels. Conditions apply. What If, it's Aussie for travel. Please leave us a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Up the rabbit eyes.